From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. On today's episode of Film Forward, we're joined by filmmaker Christopher Frierson. His new film, DMX, Don't Try to Understand, follows a year in the life of the late, great Earl DMX Simmons, and a very eventful year it was. Christopher, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And congratulations on just a really beautiful film. As a fan of X, it was it was, it was a lot of fun and an insightful watch. Really exhilarating in moments also. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. He was a man to himself. Like, there's nobody else like him. Yeah, no doubt. Talk to us, if you can, about how the project got off the ground. How were you able to, I mean, sell Earl on the idea of doing this documentary in the first place? Long story short, I worked at a company called Mass Appeal, a production company in development, and I used to have artists coming in and out of there all the time. And I knew he was coming in at some point, and he's one of my favorite artists since I'm a kid. I built a deck and was like going to pitch it to him. Unfortunately, I wasn't there and that day and he uh, got locked up that day for violating probation and started a year sentence. And so over the course of that year, I became friends with his manager, Pat, and we were just trying to keep the flame alive. And a year later, January of 2019, we found out a couple of days before he was getting out of federal prison down in West Virginia. And I was able to, to scrape a little bit of money together and grab some guys from the office. And we went down and surprised him, so to speak, kind of, as he got out of jail. And as you'll see in the film, when he gets out of jail, he's like, oh, hey, he's like, you ain't fucking around. Like, that was, <laughs> right. that was, that's because Pat kind of let him know that we might be doing this movie, but I had not met him before that moment. And so we just sort of hopped in Suburbans and spent three days driving from the middle of nowhere in West Virginia up to the city, New York. And along that ride, I think me and him sort of formed a, a weird bond and established a little bit of trust. And we kind of just went from there. I mean, that must say a lot about you because, I mean, especially with documentary filmmaking, trust is such a, a key component. Right. So you had to build that immediately <laughs> and on the fly. So I must say a lot about you to earn his respect that rapidly. I mean, I think that, like you said, trust to me is the most important thing in, you know, in the documentary world because, you know, you kind of have the power to shape whatever narrative you want. And if someone has sort of an inclination that your intentions are to do that, mm -hmm. I think it's obvious when you see it in films. It's not kind of the way that I like to roll, you know? So right. it was just me and him kicking it in these suburbans, driving up for days on end. And I'd like to think that we both found something in one another during that short period of time, whereby he kind of was like, all right, this is not, like everybody else that's tried to do something on me before. I mean, that's that's incredible. Talk to us, if you can, about, you mentioned you're a fan as well. What was your goal? What did you want to say with this piece from the get-go? I've always kind of been, you know, it's, it's straight, but like an underdog type person. And I've also been really fascinated by public figures whose narratives, I think, are shaped by the media more so than themselves right. to a certain extent. And so you have someone like Earl, who I know personally resonates, and I know I knew then resonates with a lot of people in a very important way. But then you have the cartoon character mm -hmm. that, you know, the TMZ, the arrests, the crack, the all the stuff that, you know, fits into a nice, neat little box of this is a crazy 
hood, black, angry rapper guy. And I think the complexity of him, or I thought that there was, there's definitely more than that. So I kind of sought out to, to determine what that complexity was and whether it would be good or bad, something other than what you're kind of spoon fed. Right. I think that complexity is on display. You know, like we see Earl elated in a lot of moments, especially with his family. And, you know, like he loves performing. He loves music. You know, he loves going back to the hood and and speaking with the youth and inspiring them. But we also see the toll that fame can have, you know, and how exhausting that can be. And just when you look at it from a human perspective, all the stuff he's gone through, it's like, which he never really did anything that bad, to be frank. Yes. But you got to understand from a human perspective, this shit takes a toll on a man, you know? Yeah. He, and I think I said somewhere that even one of the traumas that he experienced or the things that he sort of goes through, and I'm talking about family dysfunction, being abused as a child, mm-hmm. obviously addiction issues, all of these things, a cycle of incarceration starting at the age of 11 even one of these things would be enough to like really F up somebody's world. And it does on a day-to-day basis. So he's carrying a lot. Yeah. Moreover, he has this responsibility that he feels to spread his word, which is in line you know, with the gospel according to X, so to speak. Mm-hmm. One of the great choices you make, I think, is that you have real no sit-down interviews with Thank you, my people. From- <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I really liked that, that it was... The story is told through X. And I mean, you do have some interviews that take place in the world, in the moment, wherever the film crew is, which add color. But I thought it was a very apt choice. I just wanted to get your perspective on why you made that choice. Well, I think it feeds into what I was saying earlier about the narrative sort of like told through a lens that's not his, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kind of was like, I don't want somebody to spoon feed you what they thought about Earl or what Earl was meant to them, like celebrity type talking head things or, you know, because to me that wasn't important. I'd rather give a raw and as honest as possible depiction of a person, not just a superstar and let the audience determine for themselves, like, you know, is this person kind or is this person this, because when people are just telling you, describing somebody to you, it's you can accept that. But when you have to judge for yourself, it becomes a lot more interesting. And with him, again, the determination of who he is has already been out there in the psychosphere, so to speak. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was just talking to somebody about True Detective like a minute ago. <laughs> so why not give the opportunity for the audience to decide and him to tell his story? There was pushback a lot early on with that, but we just kept plugging along and just avoiding making a call to Swizz or Eve or anybody. <laughs> they were never there. So we just kept on doing what we were doing. In the film, it looks like you were planning to do a sit-down interview with Earl, which right. didn't end up happening. How much did that end up changing your plan or structure for the film? One would assume that that would be like a big through line for right. the film, but you didn't have it. So that's a big swerve for you. <laughs> that was sort of, it was a blessing and not so much a blessing because of why he wasn't there. Right. But that was, to be frank, sort of a conditional thing that like, you got to do the sit down interview with Earl and, you know, dragging my feet in our feet, like, all right, we'll do it. And so that it didn't happen, I think was fortuitous. Yeah. And it speaks more to his nature because you couldn't put him down in a chair and have him talk about all this stuff. That's just not who he was. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we were put into that situation where we, we were meant to do that, 
we were still thinking, all right, we'll do this. We'll use whatever it is and we'll just keep going with uh, the vision of the film. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it worked out. He seems the most in his element when he's up and hanging with his friends and yeah. you know when he's at his like you know his yonkers dive bar and you know it's like that's yeah. when we see x and that's when we're getting to know him the most it, it feels right. like his career is well documented you know we don't need to hear him repeat that yeah. and you mentioned like the dive bar like it's hard to describe as a filmmaker and then you become friends with the person You're like this is going to work this is going to work because we get more from earl you really see him in places like that and then like in conversations that we have off the cuff rather than sitting someone down and have them sort of litigate their past mm -hmm. with him specifically, it was just like, we're not going to get anything. He knew that as well. Cause I was like, dude, we got to do this thing. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. Both Earl and I kind of were like, this is not going to be the end all be all of what this film is. Right. Talk to us if you can about being on the road. Just being on the road with X, which, I mean, as a fan, you're a fan, I can't imagine just like how crazy that must have been in itself. But you're also making a film on the road. Right. Which I know you've done before with The King, but, yeah. you know, it, it still comes with its own set of challenges. So just talk we, to us about being on the road. Yeah. Like with, with that film, we, it was very organized to a degree. It was organized. I had a big crew and it was like 50, 20 people at each place we went to. Mm -hmm. But being on the road with Earl was, that was an experience to say the least. I mean, first off, you got a nearly 50 year old man doing like, I believe it was like 30 dates in like 37 or 38 days. Good God. Which is insane. But as to the performances, he's one of the greatest performers I've ever seen. And I didn't, a friend of mine would say that to me all the time because he'd seen them a couple of times. You know, I couldn't imagine it because I've been to quote unquote rap shows before, but his show, what he brings to the stage is tremendous. And it's so powerful as a filmmaker to sort of, you know, you're in the pit and I never really was shooting him. I was just shooting faces of people. Yeah. Like what they, like their reactions. And I learned a lot from those shows. Then there's just the times where everybody's being crazy. People were mad at one another. Or we got into some weird misadventures, which most did not make the film. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, I got left in Chicago one day after a show and, had to rent a car and drive to Cleveland by myself so I could oh, shoot. film the next show. But it was like a hustle game. And that's one of the, the fun things I, I think about this kind of filmmaking is, you know, the unexpected often yields results that are far better than what you could have ever planned. Absolutely. You mentioned the fans and just like you have so many great shots of the audience during his shows and you could see the passion. And it reminded me of one of my favorite interviews from your film is you're outside of a concert and you're talking to like a, a parking attendant or yep. something. And he's talking about like how his music got him through his sentence. And if it wasn't for his music, you know, he probably wouldn't be there today. Right. X's music kept him alive, which I thought was just really, really powerful. And then you had juxtaposed it, the scene right before you have Xavier, his oldest son, that like loss of connection, right. the juxtaposition of those two scenes back to back, I thought was incredibly powerful. That guy, we're in Detroit. I'm like outside the venue. I, there was a couple of shows where I was just, I was shooting and running, doing everything myself just by myself. And he flagged me over and he was just like, starts telling me this. And I think his story that Earl is a prophet and Earl sort of, it's not hyperbolic. Earl got him through his 15 year bid mm -hmm. for armed robbery the most important part that he says there is he's like, he's like us, like we're the same. And 
I think that that's the very unique quality that Earl has. And I think that that's seen throughout his music, kind of the way he moves and what he's talking about, because he, at the time he came out in in the late 90s, he was not talking about girls or cars or this and the other thing, shiny suit era. Like he was talking about pain, right? Pain is something that is universal, whether it be through family trauma or abuse or addiction and blah, blah, blah. This, all those things are very tangible to every person in the world. Um, whether it's yourself or somebody in your family, you know, you can reach out and touch that. Whereas, you know, being on a beach in Miami with like a thousand girls and Lamborghinis, that's not very tangible for most people. Right. So he sort of grounded himself early on and, and he was one of the first people who in the genre was like, yo, it's okay to feel like this. Yeah. I mean, his very first record is called Born Loser. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, this is why the, those kids in, in the projects are crying. It's okay to cry. This mythological superstars is letting you know it's all right. Like, you don't have to put on airs all the time. The ending of the film, I thought, was uh, really beautiful. Shooting it and being in the editing room, at what point did you know that that moment, surrounded by his family, that was the ending? the film oh i knew it while i was holding the camera as long as i didn't drop the camera (laughs) this is the end of the movie we shot a little bit after that i was like no matter what happens well that scene it's there's so much going on in that room that is a culmination of that year and people that i had met and by extension the audience has met at this point and they're all there and he's aware of everything but yet in his own world and he puts that song on for a reason. Mm-hmm. I felt it like I just was so praying. I did not fuck up that shot, moving the camera at the right time and all that sort of good stuff. You just knew it. I felt it because I had been on this journey alongside him. That was going to be a fitful ending. And, you know, it, it was Thanksgiving. So we, we really had like one or two more shoots that we did. It just felt right at that moment. Some would say perfect, Christopher. And, uh, <laughs> That would be me. DMX, don't try and understand. It's available right now on HBO Max. Check it out. Please let us know what you think. Christopher, it's uh, really an honor. I'm a big fan of your work. So thank you for taking the time out to do this with us. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a good one. Thank you all for listening to Film Forward. We'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.